Matthew. Book of Matthew this morning, if you've got your Bibles. Matthew chapter number 10. And uh, we're going to be looking at just a, a very simple truth this morning. And uh, I'm going to look at it a couple of different ways. Uh, Matthew chapter number 10 this morning. And uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses. And I uh, hope that the Lord will speak to your heart uh, through the teaching, preaching this morning. And a very important uh, thought this morning. And uh, I want to preach on the subject of the value or the worth of a soul. The value or the worth of a soul. Uh, we, have, uh, we, we can read missionary biographies about missionaries that gave their lives to go to different parts of the world. Only to uh, labor for years and years and years. And only to see one or two converts. And uh, humanly speaking, somebody might go back what a, and, and might, say, might say, you know what, what a waste of time, what a waste of a life, what a waste of money. But no, 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 no. What, what we don't understand is that we don't understand that every single soul is of great value to God. As we go to Scotland, and, uh, and it's, uh, as they say, it's a tough road to hoe. Uh, in, in, in trying to minister in Scotland. Uh, if, if you have 50 people in your church, that's a big church in Scotland. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we do our best uh, through flyer and track distribution and knocking on doors and, and uh, trying to invite people to church and trying to get out the gospel. We really work at uh, trying to get out the gospel. Uh, and, uh, and, and we try many different avenues of, of trying to uh, get the uh, Word of God out into people's homes. Um, but we don't see a lot of response in Scotland to the gospel. And what response we see more times than not is hostile. I've had some of my best cussings come from knocking doors in Scotland. I have been spit at. I have been physically abused. I've, had, I've even been threatened by the police. There are some places in Scotland where it is illegal to knock on somebody's door and invite them to church. Uh, it is uh, although the people of Scotland on our whole are very hospitable. When it comes to the gospel, most of them are very hostile. And uh, so when we do get the opportunity to see somebody trust Christ as their savior, man, it's a wonderful thing. We get so excited and uh, we've had the privilege of the time that we have been there to average seeing uh, about once every two weeks we get to see somebody trust Christ as their savior. But uh, we go through a lot of people in order to see that happen. And uh, and but what we must understand is that every single person that gets saved is of great value to God. Matthew chapter number 10, and we're going to start down in verse number, uh, verse number 29. We'll read just a couple of verses here, then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll get into the message. Matthew chapter number 10, and verse number 29. Bible says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now, verse number 29. Now, it was a going rate at that time for two sparrows to be sold for a farthing. Now, a farthing, it comes from, uh, that's an old English word that means one-fourth. 
And it's one fourth of the smallest unit that they had. And at that time, the smallest monetary unit was the penny. So two sparrows would cost about one fourth of a penny. Now that's almost nothing. Very minuscule, very, very cheap. But the Bible says that God takes notice of something so little and so minuscule. And he says, if God notices that, does, is God, does he not take notice of you and I? And, and the answer is yes, he does. We are of much more value than many sparrows. And the truth here is that every single one of us are of great value to God. Now I want to speak on that subject just for a few moments this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be in church. And Lord, for these next few moments that we have, I pray that you would, Lord, uh, uh, get our attention. I pray that you would help us to block out anything that would distract this morning and that you would help us as we, Lord, need to hear from heaven. Please bless this time that we have together. Speak to each and every heart today. And we'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's amazing today that uh, it seems like uh, in schools today they're more concerned about a child's self-esteem than any other time that we've had in history. Uh, people are, are, are concerned about uh, how a child feels. Do they value themselves? Uh, truth of the matter, I think, person, I think, I think, I think we've gotten overboard on some of these things, um, and, uh, and and we see it a lot in Scotland, where it just it gets to a point where it's ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that 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 people aren't important because people are very important, but here it, it's almost ironic that we live in a day and time. When, when uh, uh, our educators seem to be very concerned about a child's self-worth, but we live in a time when we value people's lives less and less. We're number one in the world for, for, for abortions. Child abuse is, is, is at an all-time high. I mean, there's no doubt that every one of you have heard about this child that was murdered over, over in Springfield, Missouri this week. What is wrong with America? What is wrong with people today that they don't value life any more than they do? We, we live in a day and time where we value our pets more than we do our own children. This world is upside down. And if we could learn to value life as God values life, it would change our perspective. If we can learn to respect others like we should. If we can learn to value as God values. He says here, he says that we are of much more value than many sparrows. God's love and God's concern for each and every one of us is far more than what we can comprehend. God, God values you as an individual so much and He loves you and he, and he has so much care for you as an individual 
that if you had been the only person ever born, his love could not be any greater than what it is today. Every one of us are of great value to God. I, I, I know that socially today, that people struggle with self-worth. This is a reality. There, there are things that people are doing today punishing themselves. There's this self-harm and self-cutting and that kind of thing. And it's because people have a very, very low self-esteem or a very, very low self-worth. When I was a kid, these type of things were never heard of. There are certainly cries for help. Certainly they are acts of desperation. But it is indicative. It, it is symptomatic of, of the fact that people today, they, they have a very self, a low self-worth. What we do not understand is that God values us much more than we value ourselves. Let me give you just a few things this morning. I've got... Oh, I've just got six, six points today. Six just simple things, simple thoughts to help us to understand how God loves us and He values us. Number one, to God the Father, the value or the, or the worth of a soul is seen in the fact that He sent His Son to this sinful world for you and I. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I can remember as a 15-year-old kid, a military brat, we were living in Germany at the time. We had moved so much. And, uh, and, and there were things that were happening in my life, going through in my life, that I just wondered, I, I wondered if God even loved me, if God cared for me at all. And I can remember in August of 1983 hearing the gospel preached. Clear and precise. The love of God that was for me. And I can remember that Sunday afternoon in August of 1983 when I got on my knees and I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart and to save me and to give me a home in heaven. It was at that point that I realized that God loved me. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that it was determined from the foundation of the world that God would come and that He would save us. He would come as our sacrifice. To God the Father, my soul was worth enough that He was, uh, he was willing to send His Son. You know, as we, as we talk about, uh, uh, and, and there's many things going on in the world today, uh, many things, I look, look, I love the American military. I, 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 uh, I, uh, I, I am so grateful for the freedoms and liberties that we have. And, and I, look, some people, uh, you know, Scottish people, sometimes they misunderstand me. And I get, the, I get asked a question so many times, uh, why, why would you leave America and come to Scotland? Sometimes people misunderstand me and they think that I left America because I don't like it. Scotland is a socialist country, borderline communist. You know what? People in Scotland, they're looking for ways to get out. Nobody in their right mind moves to Scotland to stay. Great place to visit, lousy place to live. 
And, and Scottish people, they just don't get it. They don't understand. Look, uh, I'm not going over there because I love Scotland more than I love America. I go over there. I'm going over there to minister because that's what God's called me to do. And God's given me a heart for that. But I love America. I love it. And I, and I am so thankful for the price that has been paid by so many that have given their lives and, and, and those that have given the ultimate price of laying down their lives to pay for the freedoms and liberties that we have. Now, I don't care what you think about our president or what you think about the, the different conflicts that we're involved in around the world. It is a nobler concept that we have that we are to go around and to promote freedom around the world. And you know what? The guys that are going over there, it's amazing to me how that these guys are volunteering for second and third and fourth terms. You know why? Because they believe in what they're doing. They have found a cause that is greater than themselves. They have found something that is worth laying down their life for, and that is the freedom that we know and enjoy on a daily basis. But there's something greater than, than a physical freedom. That's a spiritual freedom. And God the Father sent His Son so that you and I could know the forgiveness of sins. God the Father valued us so much that He was willing to send His Son. Second thing is, is that to Jesus, the Son of God, that a soul was worth leaving heaven for and seeking us. Luke 19.10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, when we stop and we think about heaven, and I love to do that. I love, there's so many things about heaven that we don't know. The Bible says that we don't know the half of all the wonders and all the beauties and all the greatness of heaven. But what we do know, what we do know, uh, it baffles me that Jesus would be willing to leave heaven to come to this earth. I mean, I can't wait to get there. Why in the world would he willingly leave heaven? A place where there is no crime, no sin, no heartache, no disease, no suffering. A place of perfect peace. A place where he's able to be with his father in perfect unity and in perfect fellowship. A place in heaven where He received the honor and the glory and the praise due His name. Why would He leave that and come to this earth knowing that He would be despised and rejected of men? Mocked, not believed, made fun of. When we just think about what happened to Him during the crucifixion. He was beaten. He was held in reproach. He was blasphemed. And he was brutally murdered. Now, why in the world would he endure all of that? It's because he values you and I. You know, we are, uh, look, bottom line, every one of us are prejudiced. I mean, we can act pious and go, oh, there's not a prejudiced bone in my body. We all have prejudices. Now, when I say that, most people, they, they immediately think, oh, skin color. That's what they think. Scottish people, they're so funny. 
Scottish people, when we first went to Scotland in 96, people would always tell us, oh, we, we're, we're Scottish people, we're not prejudiced against anybody. And you know what? You looked around, and the only people in Scotland are white people. And, and, and you know what? Because there weren't any other people groups to be prejudiced against, they're always fighting among themselves. Read the history of Scotland. Uh, it was the McDonald's fighting against uh, Clan Campbell. I mean, they're always fighting. You know, always. I mean, just you, you just don't make a difference. What movie you watch, what show, those people are always fighting among themselves. But now in the last ten years, they brought in a lot of Nigerians, a lot of Ukrainians, a lot of Polish Romanians, uh, there are people coming in from Eastern Europe. And you know what now? The Scottish people have determined something about themselves. And they'll tell you this. You know what? We are a very prejudiced people after all. Because we hate the Polish people. We hate the Bulgarians. We hate the Russians. And they'll, they'll roll right down the line. And they're not ashamed of it. Like, oh my goodness. Everybody's prejudiced. Everybody, but but sometimes our prejudice it's not against a people group. Uh, sometimes our prejudice falls amongst along social lines. Somebody's not dressed as nice as we are. Boy, they just don't they don't live in the same part of town that we live in. So you know, and you know what? Those kind of prejudices have no place in God's house. Amen. Everybody ought to feel welcome at God's house. I'm out knocking doors one day in Scotland. And I started on a new, new neighborhood. Knocked on the first door. And this guy came to the door. And, uh, and you talk about somebody that looked like he got puked up by a cat. This guy looked bad. Skinny, scrawny, long, nasty hair. Looked like they, they, uh, they, uh, what they call uh, sleeping in the rough. Uh, that's, uh, that's, if you're homeless, you're sleeping on the streets. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll sleep in dumpsters. Because it'll the thing will close up and you know keep the wind off of you and and sometimes the trash keeps you help keep, helps you keep warm and that's a popular thing to do with my homeless people uh, especially drug addicts in Scotland and uh, and, and we, we do a lot of dealings with drug addicts and alcoholics and so forth and uh, I, I knocked on the door and this guy came to the door and I mean he looked rough he looked bad and his name was w Willie Gray and uh, uh, William he, I got got a chance to uh, introduce myself to him started talking to him a little bit and uh, and what was different is is most people by the time that I say the word church or pastor conversation is usually over I mean, they're cussing at me. They're throwing me off the front porch. Uh, they're going back in to call the police. They're doing something like that. And this guy, he just stood there and just listened. And I just decided to just proceed, you know, go ahead. And, uh, and I gave him an invitation to church, handed him a gospel tract. And, uh, and then he proceeded to tell me a little bit about himself. And William, uh, I think at the time he was 18, 19 years old, that he had been hooked on drugs, uh, heroin and crack now, uh, uh, for a couple of years. And, uh, and he had started at a very early age, early teen years. Uh, he was an alcoholic. Uh, he had been in and out of numerous programs. In fact, through the, uh, uh, through the socialized medicine over there, they have all the, uh, uh, the counselors uh, at, the, at the local hospital. And if you, if you want to try to get off of the drugs, you go down there, they assign you a counselor, and they start putting you through all the different programs. William had been through all of them. 
19 years of age. At, at that time, they had him on the methadone. They, they nicknamed it Dethadone because it was even more dangerous than the stuff that they were buying on the streets. And by the way, at that time, heroin was cheaper than alcohol. And more prevalent. William was a wreck. The day before, he had gotten kicked out of yet another halfway house. And he had been through every program. That, that, that trip to the halfway house was his last ditch effort. And he blew it. And it turns out that when I knocked on the door, he was at home alone trying to figure out how he was going to end his life. And he looked at that gospel track and he looked up at me and he says, Do you think God can help me? Now here's a man that all of society had given up on. They'd done everything they could and they said, You know what? We're done. There's nothing else that we can do. Even William had given up on himself. He invited me in and over a cup of coffee, we spent the next 45 minutes talking about, the, uh, about what Jesus uh, had done for, for us, talking about the gospel, talking about heaven, talking about the forgiveness of sins. And after those 45 minutes, William bowed his head and he, and he asked Jesus to come in his heart to save him. And he got saved. As soon as we got through praying, he looked up at me and he says, okay, I've got that settled. But he says, what can God do to help my life now? And we began working, going through Bible studies, and uh, and uh, we went through. I, there, there's a uh, there's a Bible based program that I use to help people with addictions, and we went through that program, and uh, and it took six months. But after six months, he was completely off all the drugs. Uh, turned his life around. Now that was uh, that's been that's been. Uh, 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago now, William's got two precious little girls now. He brings Sunday school every single week. He's the chaplain of one of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, clubs that he's a member of. His mom got saved coming to church. His dad ain't saved yet. But his dad, he's a, he's a, he's a cantankerous old Scott. He, uh, last time I, I got to visit with him, that was only a couple weeks ago I stopped by and I was back in Scotland. I got to stop by and visit with him again. And he says, look, he says, I can see the change in my son's life. And every time I see him, he, he, he stops, he shakes my hands and he thanks me for the change that happened in William's life. I said, look, it's not me. I said, only the Lord could do that. And he goes, well, I, he goes, I know, I know, I know, I know. He goes, but he said, I want to thank you anyways. Because he said, you gave me back my son. And he says, and, you, and, and, and he says, because of that, he says, I got two more precious grandbabies. Now, you know, uh, uh, 13 years ago, you look at William, no, nobody, nobody valued him. No, nobody would have given him anything. Nobody would have given him the time of day. But yet Jesus valued him. Amen. And Jesus values each and every one of us. Uh, to God the Father, a soul was worth sending His Son for. To Jesus, it was worth leaving heaven for. To the Holy Spirit, a soul is worth the time and the trouble it takes to convict and convince of sin. You know, it's an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit of God 
For, for us who have been saved, we stop and we think back to how God was working on our hearts. If you're here today, if you've never been saved, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today. Maybe, maybe God is working on you and maybe God is getting your attention and helping you to understand your need to be saved. Right, let me ask you this. Why would God waste His time on you and I? Now, I don't... Now, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why, other than to say, for some reason, He loves us. I do not understand it. I can remember years ago going to a nursing home and uh, down in, down in uh, northeast Texas, and there was an old preacher man that was in that uh, that nursing home. I loved going down and visiting with him. And uh, and uh, and I asked him one day. I said, "What's what's what's the greatest thing that you taught and preached over the years? What's the greatest Bible truth that you ever saw?" And he got a great big old smile. He said this. He said, it's just as simple as this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And you know what? That is the greatest truth. The fact that Jesus loves me. And that Jesus cares for me. Enough. That His Father was, was willing to send the Son. That Jesus was willing to come to heaven, uh, leave heaven and come to earth for. And that the Holy Spirit was willing to take the time and the trouble to convict and convince of sin. Had a fellow that lived across the street from us named John Kennedy. And, um, and I got a chance to meet him and witness to him several times. And, and John Kennedy was a military man. He had, he'd retired from the Air, Royal Air Force. And... Um, and they had settled in Livingston, and uh, and we became good friends. I mean, we, we they lived right across the street from us. And uh, when we first got to Scotland, he helped me with so many things. He's the same age as my dad, so he was almost like like my adopted dad. And uh, so, um, uh, boy, just we fell in love with his family, and I'd witnessed to him, gave him the gospel so many times, but he just he just would not get saved. He would not trust Christ as a savior. And one day, out of frustration, I said, "Look," I said, "For crying out loud, John, you know what." It takes to get saved why don't you just get saved and he got this funny grin on his face and he says well he says let me tell you the story i said go ahead he says well he says i got a mother-in-law who's a christian i said okay and he said you know she's been after me to get saved for 30 years so i said why don't you just get saved he goes well I don't want to give her the satisfaction. <laughs> I, I, what? He says, well, I'm holding out. He says, I'm hoping she dies before I do. And he said, after she dies, then I'll get saved. Amen? I thought, for crying out, that's funny. Amen? That's funny. But I said, John, I said, what happens if you die before she does? Well, he was joking around. He says, well, he says, I, he says, I think I'm willing to take that risk. I said, no, you don't want to take that risk. Well, he kept putting me off and putting me off. And, and uh, I think it was about a month after that. He showed up church one day. He said, all right. He says, he says Holy Spirit's been working on me. He said, I just can't stand it. He said, I've got to get saved. And he did. That day, he trusted Christ as his Savior. Amen. But you know, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't give up on us. And he keeps working on us. And he won't give us rest until we get saved. And thank God for it. Do you realize that we, we, we all put a value on ourselves? A lost and dying world. People who, don't get, who, who are struggling with this thing, 
Lost people. Do you realize that even lost people put a, put a value on their own soul? I can remember when, when we first, uh, first got to Scotland, I had traveled up the west coast and I went to a little town called Fort William. It was, in, it was February, middle of the winter, it was dark, it was cold, it was snowing. And, and I'd only been in Scotland for a couple of days uh, when I made that trip. And I was staying at a bed and breakfast up on the hill. And uh, and I'm sitting up wide awake in the middle of the night. Jet lag is a horrible thing, you know. It just you can take so many days to get over it. And as I'm sitting in that bed and breakfast, the only thing I could think of is I'm hungry. And uh, and I kept thinking about cookies and milk, cookies and milk. And I thought, you know, I would kill for just a glass of milk and some cookies. And uh, and I remembered that down in the town there was a grocery store that was open 24 hours. So I, I, I got dressed and I went walking down into town. About 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, I went walking down in town and uh, on my way to that, that grocery store. And, uh, and the way that they got the, the roadway set up, uh, you actually, the, the pathway, it went under the road. There's a little walkway, well lit, safe. And, uh, and I was going to come up on the other side. And as I started walking down into that, that uh, underpass there, I could look up and I see the grocery store on the other side. And the closer I got to, to that store, man, my stomach was growling. I'm thinking about cookies and milk, cookies and milk. And, uh, and there was a guy up standing off to the side playing a harmonica and doing a horrible job at it. And I looked over and he's got his hat laying on the ground. And people were walking by and throwing in some change. And, and the guy obviously was an alcoholic. You know, I mean, just he was just having a hard time even playing the stupid harmonica. And, and I knew in my heart, in my mind, I knew exactly what he was going to do. And, uh, and, and I, I'm sitting there and I'm already passing judgment on the guy, right? And uh, so I, I, I'm walking by him and the Holy Spirit tells me that man needs the gospel. And the first thought in my mind was, but Lord... I want my cookies and milk. I'll go get my cookies and milk. And when I come back after, I'll come back and I'll talk to him. And the Holy Spirit said, no, talk to him first. You talk about a dilemma. He's like having a devil on this shoulder, an angel on that. Cookies and milk, you know, are a witness to this guy. And finally I said, okay, fine. I'll talk to the guy. And, uh, and I walked over there and I thought, you know what? He's, he's doing a horrible job playing that thing. And I, I threw a couple of coins in there just to get him to quit playing. And, uh, and, and I, I, I had a good idea of what he was going to end up doing with the money, but I threw it in there anyways. And he stopped playing. He reached down and obviously had enough money at that point to do what he wanted to do. Emptied that money out, and uh, and I got talking to him, and with the American accent, he was more than more than uh, willing to talk to me. He was interested in talking to me until I mentioned to him that I was a Christian and I wanted to talk to him about his soul. He said, "Well, he said this conversation's over." He said, "I want you to know right now." He says, "And you probably don't want to talk to me when I tell you this." He said, well, "I'm heading back to the liquor shop, and I'm going to get me some more alcohol, and I'm going to make myself drunk all over again." And I said, well, you know what? You can do whatever you like. But I said, uh, but I'd like to talk to you. He says, well, he says, you want to talk to me while I'm walking? You help yourself. I said, all right. So I started walking with him. And we started walking back up to the other part of town. And, uh, and it was uh, uh, one of these small little villages. And, and uh, cobblestones right down the middle of the, uh, between all the shops and everything. Several shops were still open. Alcohol uh, uh, shop was still open down the road. So we started on our track down that direction. And I started talking to him about his soul. Telling him about what Jesus had done for him. And he was asking questions. And I was giving him answers and reading scriptures to him. And quoting scriptures to him. Talking to him about his soul. And, and I I mean, he was he was engaged in the conversation, and uh, and then uh, with 
without realizing it. I mean, we were so engulfed in the conversation that I didn't realize that we had walked into the liquor shop. So there I am standing in the liquor shop, Bible open, I had my New Testament well, I had my New Testament well, and I'm quoting scriptures to them, and you talk about quickly emptying a liquor shop. Man, people were leaving left and right, and the gal that was working behind the counter, she spoke up and she goes, Hey, what are you doing over there? And I said, I'm talking to this man about his soul. And she goes, did I hear you use the word born again? I said, yes, ma'am, you sure did. She goes, all right, bring that over here. She goes, I've got a friend that said that they were born again. I want to know more about that. Hallelujah. Right there in a liquor shop. I opened up my Bible. I witnessed to both of them. But after I got done... That fella, he, he, he found his, his, his poison of choice, went up, paid for it. We walked back outside. And, uh, and he, with all, with all honesty, he said, look, he says, look, I appreciate you telling me what you're telling me. But he says, if I was to do what you said, I'd have to give this up right here. Now, hold on time. I never said that. I never said that. Never even entered into the conversation. But you know what he had done? He, had, he right there, he told me what he thought of his own self-worth. The bottle was of more worth than his own soul. Let me ask you this this morning. What, 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 is it, what, what are you going to allow to keep you from getting born again? I'm amazed. People come to church, they sit in the pew, and they'll listen to sermon after sermon, and they won't budge, and they won't, they won't trust Christ as their Savior. Uh, sometimes it's because of pride. Well, what are people going to think of me if I go forward? Uh, honestly, they won't think anything bad. Amen? Uh, they'll be happy for you. They'll be excited for you. Because it's the right thing to do. Devil lies to you. Think, sometimes people think their lives are going to change for the worse. Oh no. Oh no. Life changes for the better. And you say, oh, well, I'll have to give up something. Look, what if, you, if you did have to give it up, it would be worth it. Say, I'd have to change my lifestyle. Well, maybe you should change your lifestyle anyways. Look, we don't change our lifestyle. We don't give up things in order to earn our way to heaven. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done in order for us to trust Him and have the forgiveness of sins, sins and to be able to go to heaven. It's all done. When He died on the cross and He shed His blood and He, he said those infamous, uh, famous words on the, on the cross, He says, it is finished. means everything is done. Now the only thing that's left is for us to make the choice to accept Christ as our own Savior. You know, there's good people sitting in pews and they say, oh, I believe that Jesus died for me. Well, that's great. But the devils believe as well. It's, belief is not enough. You have to not only believe this, but you have to accept it for yourself. And you accept it by praying and asking Jesus to come into your heart. Look, you are, you are of such great value to God. You are worth so much to Him that He was willing to send His Son. Jesus was willing to leave heaven. 
The Holy Spirit was, was willing to take the time to work in your heart and to draw you to Christ. Understand, you are precious to God. But not only you, but there are souls of people all over this world, yes, even in Scotland, that is very precious to our Lord and Savior. This morning, realize that God loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what choices you've made in life, God loves you and He values you more than you ever can imagine. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And we're going to close out the service here in just a moment. But if you're here, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then I would encourage you to come today and allow us to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. We thank you for each and every one that is here. Please have your will and way in our hearts. Lord, draw the lost. I pray that you would just help us, encourage us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, that you value us so much. Lord, I pray that you would help us to value souls. As you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor. Pianist plays.